Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? I think it's begun to rain outside. Oh, it's fallen Indiana. Yeesh. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to see everybody. Looking forward to bringing the good word. Um, and when I say the good word, I mean it. Um, as we move through the first and second Peter, there's a lot going on in these two letters. And uh, we spent the last three weeks talking about chapter one of Second Peter over three weeks, and I still felt like there's stuff we probably could have talked about. I, I, uh, I'm being honest when I tell you that when I prepare this sermon, I'm sure Mike does the same thing. I pray that number one, that we don't get too long-winded and try to read too much in or out of the Word of God. It can speak on its own, but I also pray that folks don't find this too tedious. Like, golly, why are we taking so much time? Because I think a an understanding that what, what Peter is trying to get to and unpack for us does take time. And sometimes smaller chunks of Scripture are helpful. So this week we're only going to cover three verses, which means the reading is very short. But the sermon title is Remember Their Motives. Whose Motives? Oh, Yes, it should be a little bit salacious. That said, let's, if you've got your Bibles, uh, feel free to uh, follow along with me. We'll be reading from Second Peter. And then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into this, uh, into chapter 2, but really only the, the first three verses therein. So if you can uh, follow along, great. If not, it'll be up on the screen. iPad's not working, but I'm sure that'll be fixed before the sermon begins. Follow, read with me, please. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray. Lord, the the topic of false teaching is a double-edged sword. Uh, Lord, I pray, as often I do, that your word is what counts this morning, that my words only serve to amplify or clarify or draw people deeper into your scripture. And even when we just are talking about three verses, actually kind of two and a half here, God, um, that we approach this with reverence, uh, with an attitude of, of desiring to understand more, and an attitude of having the Holy Spirit convict us. When it comes to things like, like false teaching, God, we are so easily swayed. Uh, we are constantly at war with ourselves, and when somebody else can show up and tell us what we want to hear and scratch our itching ears, Lord, it's easy for us to stray from the path of truth and start doing things in a way that, quite frankly, are uh, unacceptable in your eyes, Lord. So I pray that we take these warnings seriously and we uh, leverage your word to help us follow you more closely in life. In your son's name I pray, amen. All right, so with that, let's Go ahead and dive on in to the first slide. Emma, if you could change it. Hopefully this thing will wake up and I'll be able to control it, but it's being finicky. Oh, it looks like it might be working. So Halloween sermon title. I guess we could call it that. It does have kind of an edge. Remember their motives. It sounds like a byline for a scary movie or something. If it sounds ominous or insidious, it is. When we talk about remembering, we talk about their motives. The there we're talking about are false teachers. But seriously here, what Peter wants us to remember is why we have enemies. I don't think anybody that's hearing this that would call himself a Christian would say, well, yeah, I have no enemies. 
I get along with everybody and the world sees me as just totally fine and normative. That's generally not true. We do have enemies. What Peter's trying to talk about here is why we have enemies. So what's old is new again. False prophets are never going away. You'll hear them called prophets or teachers. Uh, if, if you pay attention, and some of us are saying today, we talk about ourselves in prize prophets and teachers in our reading. Uh, when we talk about prophecy of old, a lot of times we see soothsaying or seeing the future, right? Being able to see something in the future and prophesy about it happening. That did happen in the Old Testament. No question about it. But the prophecy wasn't just arbitrary. It wasn't just... Uh, Hey, this is a, on this day it's going to rain. Oh, not, not Nostradamus nonsense. The prophecy served a specific purpose, and that was, of course, to glorify God and to let us know that when Messiah arrived, we could go back to the Old Testament and see that it all aligned. This was the plan from the get-go. So prophets and teachers are the same nowadays. If someone's coming up with new prophecy that illumines some new aspect of God, warning. There are people that call themselves prophets or prophetesses, and they tell you about things in your life, and they say it comes from God. I don't think that it does. Generally speaking, we don't need that anymore. Today, though, when we talk about false prophets, we think of them more as false teachers. Am I prophesying the Word of God accurately, or am I perverting it to some other tack? The Old Testament was filled with false prophets. Now, there were plenty of false teachers, too, but also false prophets proper, people that told false truths about the coming Messiah, about what God's intention was. What Peter's talking about is active false teaching in his sphere. So these are people that he's aware of, false teachings that are actively occurring. Not necessarily, it still applies, but not necessarily addressing old false prophets. This is important because a lot of times today, what false teachers do is talk about, well, there were old false teachers, but that's not me. I'm better and different. My heresies are fresh and new. I mean, my beliefs that are based on the Bible are fresh and new, right? You've not heard this before. And if it makes your head spin a little bit, like, oh, gosh, it's so hard to figure out which way is up, absolutely right. There's a lot of warnings about this. And we have more false teachers today than I can count. And I'm not talking about the big ones, the ones that are well-known, that are talking about getting rich through better faith and writing checks and getting, you know, rags soaked with oil or whatever they send to you. That's, that's of course, bad and nonsense. But here in our local city, in our state, there's plenty of people that are telling untruths about the Word of God. They're taking something that is true, the gospel truth, and they're, they're jamming some stuff around it that makes it ugly and filthy and, and not pleasing to God. But it, it's, it works good for us. I like the majority of the Bible, but there's a few things I disagree with. Could you tell me that that's okay? And the teacher, yes, absolutely that's okay. God doesn't make junk, even though the Word specifically says that He does. He makes unrighteous vessels. Well, but... If that's what you're listening to, if that's what we're putting up with, it's no wonder that people are confused about what Christ came to do and why that matters. How is their teaching false? There's still going to be a final four later on, but I'm kind of breaking this up into three chunks I'm going to talk about. These are all straight from Scripture. These are not my points. These are Peter's. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So we're talking about, let's look, at, let's look for false teachers. I want to get better at this. I want to avoid the minds. I want to be able to weave through this field of life. And I, people are going to tell me things, and I want to know if it's true. Here's what, here's what Peter's talking about. They will bring in destructive heresies. They are denying the master who bought them. Oof. And they are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
destructive heresies. So heresy is, simply put, teaching contrary to God's Word. So if God's Word says the sky is blue and I say the sky is aquamarine, that's heresy. That's not not heresy to me. I mean, blue is kind of aquamarine. No, it is. If the Word said that and I contradict it, that's heresy. Now, the Word doesn't say everything about everything. The Word does not tell us how to make asphalt for roads. And any other thing would be a heresy. That's not how that works. But what we're talking about here is, is God's word clear? Is it understood? Is it well thought through? Contextually, does this make sense? And is what this teacher is saying opposite to that or counter to that? If so, it's heresy. Period. It's easy to think, okay, so now we're talking, we've got heresy. It's easy to think there's some destructive and non-destructive heresies, right? There's like a... This one's a big deal. Like, I don't think Jesus is God's son. But then there's another one that says, I don't think that Satan's an angel. All right, that's not as big of a heresy. That one's not destructive, perhaps. The Jesus one, that's a destructive. But this other one's more of like a tacit heresy. Well, there are degrees of destructiveness. <laughs> there are some heresies that are going to be fundamentally compromising your faith. There is no non-destructive heresy. If it is against the word of God, it will destroy Maybe a little bit at a time. Maybe it just destroys a tiny bit, a small crack in an otherwise solid foundation. But if it's a heresy, it means God said this and this says something different. That is not said just for fun. Heresies come from the enemy. They come from sin. Sin is the opposite of God. We want nothing to do with it. Sin destroys. God restores. Peter's point is they're not just trying to be annoying. False teachers, there are some that will come in here with flying a banner of Satan and say, oh, I'm not from the church of Satan. I don't think any of us really like, well, that's obvious, right? I'm a Christian. I'm not going to listen to that teaching. I'm, I represent another religion. I, dis- I don't believe Jesus is who he says he was. I don't believe the Bible is true. Those are easy heresies. The, uh, what, what Peter's addressing here are these destructive ones that maybe don't even seem that destructive. It's not that big of a deal. The amount of money you give the church does impact your final standing in the kingdom. That's heresy. That sounds okay. And I could put a slide of that up. I didn't do this. I almost had one, but I thought someone will, I don't want to make any, I don't want to make, make it confusing. But you can go find some scriptures that do make it sound a lot like the amount of money you give matters. It does matter. Treasures in heaven, God values treasure. We could go down this road and I could probably walk some people saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of money. I don't have a lot of faith. But if I give you more money, you're telling me I just have more faith. Okay, sounds pretty good. Here's a fatter check. Now, it seems like, oh, that's silly. Well, you can head, uh, get out of this thing, drive 100 miles, you'll see congregations filled with people writing big checks, feeling saved because of it. Now, if you ask them, they won't say that. They'll say something that seems a little less destructive than I'm buying my way into heaven. But the truth is, it's dangerous. And what Peter wants us to know is that, yeah, is it it contrary to the word of God? And if so, uh, careful. It's not sent there to make you happier. It is sent to destroy. He mentions denying the master who bought them. I say this as a juicy passage with a smiley face here because this little bit right here comes up a lot with regards to, wait a minute, denying the master who bought them. So he bought and paid for them. Now they're denying this. Peter is saying they claim Christ but deny his teaching. The phraseology here, if you go into the Greek and such, the way it's pieced together is to say they'll even deny the master who bought them, right? Like, think of it like in air quotes or uh, 
a whole big sarcastic motive, right? They're saying that Christ paid for them, that he is their savior, but then they're denying him. How can that be? Why would they do something contrary to someone that they denied? What he is not saying is that they were legitimately bought and paid for. They were part of the elect. They were committed. And then they turned to the dark side, walked off, and thwarted Christ's efforts. It's not a passage about atonement being thwarted. This is not that. This isn't that the false teachers were saved and then abandoned their salvation. This, what they're saying is false teachers have become very, very good at emulating salvation. They know the things that you're supposed to believe. They claim that the master bought them because they understand that Jesus was the master. And they understand that he came to pay for his elect, or his, his flock that was elect by the Father. They know that. But then they, they say things contrary to that because they really don't believe it. They say it, they're walking, they're talking to talk, but they are not walking the walk. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. Maybe not swift enough. It's arguable, I guess. But Satan is not building an army to rule. I've said this before from up here, and I'll say it again. There is no hope, there is no question about how this ends. Satan is not trying to get to a place where if he could just get a few more people, he could actually put up a fight and maybe beat God. No, Satan will lose the war. It is already done. The war is over. It hasn't happened yet, but it is settled. Satan's desire now is to kill and destroy, period. Now, we sin all the time. Don't need Satan really to do that. But Satan's more than happy to throw temptation around or leverage our desire to sin to draw us far and farther away from God as well as affect his kingdom. These false teachers aren't going to be spared, right? That's the, that's the message here, right? It's a stern warning to those that are now preaching from Peter. If you are teaching heresy, woe unto you, my friend. Your destruction is, it will be swift. You are not going to be part of a thing that can somehow turn the tides and make God once again shuffle papers. I didn't think they'd get that guy. How big is that church? Oh, no. You know, goodness gracious, we're going to need more angels and bigger chariots. That's nonsense. If you go into Revelation, you see how this ends. If you don't believe me, read it closely. Christ appears with an army. Oh, here it comes. And he says a word, and that's it. Everybody's dead. There's no fighting. He doesn't draw a sword and get down there and, you know, block a couple and swing. None of that. He says something, everybody dies, and that's the end of the fight. Okay, back to heaven. There's no chance. Satan knows he's lost this. What he wants to do is bring as many people to destruction with him. You're going to destroy me with it. I'm going to take your creation with. What Satan doesn't understand and what many of us don't understand is the elect will be saved. Those who God wants to save will be saved. He can't win. He can't, he can't sneak in when God wasn't looking and steal a few that God really wanted to save, but now oh, Satan got there first. Oh, foiled again. That's impossible. It's a huge fit being thrown by the devil. And with this comes a whole bunch of people that want to be part of that, that don't like the way God's working because they hate him too. They went and learned about it. Well, that's not fair, so I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm never going to make it, so I'm just going to double fake it. I'm going to bring as many people down as I can by steering them away, by thwarting their effort. If you're saved, you are saved. Peter's warning is don't waste your time if you're saved sitting under bad teaching that's instructing you to effectively remain idle. Do things that don't matter. Don't impact the kingdom. Don't, don't tell the good news of Christ. That's off-putting and offensive to people. Accept everybody as they are. Don't encourage anybody to change. Don't encourage people to stop sinning. 
That's what you're going to start to hear from the false teachers because that's what people like to hear. People want to be told that whatever they do is great. Peter's saying that's exactly what false teachers will tell you and don't do it. We kind of end this a little bit here with at least we know the truth so very few will follow him, right? Sadly, no. Right here it is. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. The impact of following this false teaching is nightmarish. I don't think that's overstated. The way of truth being blasphemed, you do not want to be a part of that. That's something you don't want to have to account for. Now, can we, can we repent of that and has Christ paid for that? Yes, 100% yes. Make no mistake, the, the warnings that Peter is giving here have nothing to do with your position in eternity if you are saved by Christ. What they impact is our ability to serve effectively today. If, if you claim to be a believer and you are saved and you're acting in ways that are contrary to the Word of God, a discerning person in the world can look at that and say, well, that person's a, they're, they're a hypocrite. You know, they're saying one thing, they're doing another, they're justifying their own actions, however they see fit. I don't need, that, that, that I can get without going to church. That's not even what the Bible says. Why do I care? This is irrelevant. I'm not going to follow any of this nonsense. And the last bullet there is the followers need to be aware that they are culpable. There's also another thing of, well, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, not you. You know, I can only do what was being taught to me. The Bible makes it very clear. The Word of God is paramount. It is the top dog. What it says goes. It is on all of us to understand what it is that we're consuming. Be able to compare it effectively to the Word of God and know if we are sitting underneath false teaching or not. We'll be accountable for sitting there and putting up with that. Now, I'm not talking about abuse situations where you're, being, you're held against your will. Of course, that's a totally different situation. But there are plenty of people that are not being held against their will. They are willing themselves to sit under this stuff and listen to garbage, pay attention and follow it, let their minds be clouded, not with the truth of God, but with a lot of doubt or a lot of good ideas of men that seem reasonable and sort of go and jive with the Word of God and it's something I can measure and compare myself to and feel pretty good about. And then finally here in the, the, the first half of, second, we, we, of, of, of uh, verse 3, we see the big driving force, this is my opinion, of this false teaching. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Aha. Greed for money, for power, for fame. The answer is D, all of the above. If you ever take a multiple choice test, that's a tricky bit. In this case, that's the answer. It's greed. Satan tried this with Christ, if you remember, right? He took him to the top of the mountain. He wanted to see if he could get him to, to succumb to a little The whole world. You can be the ruler of all. Now, there's, I know, some irony to talking to the creator of the world and saying, would you like to be in charge of this? He's like, would I like to be in charge of the world I'm in charge of? Well, let me see. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you're not going to do that for me, so let me just preach scripture to you and get the heck out of here. I don't know who you think you're talking to. That should be our attitude. When someone comes to us and says, you know, what about more health? Well, you can't give me health or wealth. Nobody can do that. My treasure is in heaven. My health is irrelevant. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Health, check, doesn't matter. I'm going to do my best. Believe me, I've got work to do. But I don't need to, I'm not going to compromise myself. I'm not going to subject the Bible to your teaching so that maybe I can get a leg up on something that's important to me. The people that are doing this are not altruistic. The biggest ones, the ones we might call the, the supreme violators, the, the ones that are teaching the biggest false doctrine, 
are usually very, very powerful in this role. They've got lots of money. They have huge churches. They've got people that are willing to go to bat for them, legal teams, massive legal teams, huge appropriations on this world to defend their position in the world. The irony, of course, is the world's loving what they're doing. They don't really need that stuff. But there will come a day when they will be held to account for this. Satan knows that false teachers will compromise to get rich, and their followers will compromise for false hope. Those two things go hand in hand. Give me more money, and I'll help you with your, your illness. Sounds good. I write a check for $100, and I get healed. You did? Can we come to your house and shoot a video, and you could weep and tell us how doing this saved you? Took the cancer away? Yes, I'd love that. And we come, and we anoint, and we pray, and we hemorrhage all this worldly stuff. We say it's of God, and we take a video, and we put it up, and it lures more people in. And I get more money, and you get the warm fuzzy that you're helping other people get the same salvation that you got. All of it bunk. All of it based off of you give and I give. It's like I'm going to Walmart. It's the same exact thing. It's all about greed. And that's what Peter is saying. Watch out. They are exploiting you with false words. They are here to destroy the final four. Number one, don't believe everything you hear. Number two, don't tolerate hypocritical teachers. Don't be surprised when false teachers are successful, quote, for a while. And finally, don't be lured into the flock of false teachers. Let's jump into these. As I said before, number one, don't believe everything you hear. The Word of God is paramount. So if you hear, if everything you hear comes from the Word of God, if everything you hear, then I'll retract that statement. Believe everything you hear. If all you do is hear God's Word, then believe it all, 100%. The reality is we don't. We're going to hear some great things from the Word of God in the world around us, in our churches, in our small groups, in our peer groups, in our study groups. Mike and I can get together and try to piece, to piece together a sermon. There's going to be a lot of God's Word there, and there's going to be a few of my words. Don't believe all those, Mike. If I'm talking to you and i got a lot of really good ideas, okay, cool. And as much as we, Mike and I, teach the Word well, we're worth listening to. I'll tell you that right now. If I can adequately convey the truth of Scripture, then I am worth listening to. But anything else, even good advice, should be taken with several grains of salt. My good advice is not somebody else's good advice. And if it's not from the Word of God, then it's not necessarily garbage, but don't just believe it because you heard it from a source of authority. I heard what he said about this, this, and this. Those were all true, so this must be true. Boy, that is a great tactic for false teachers to use. Tell you three truths and a lie, three truths and a lie, three truths and a lie. Pretty soon you start thinking, well, I think there was four truths. Sounds good. Look how convicted they are. They're right about this, they're right about that, they're right about that. Why wouldn't this be true? I mean, like, it seems a little, but, you know, they're so smart and so wise. And da, da, da. You don't need to be smart or wise to understand the Word of God. The Bible and the Holy Spirit are enough, but God is gracious to give us each other. Church, that's exactly how I feel. You don't need me. You do not need me to convey the truth of Scripture to you. It's an honor to do it, and it's a blessing that God allows me to do it, and that we as a church can sharpen each other up in this way. That's gracious, but it's not a requirement. And when it comes to hearing things, 
And like, what do I believe? What I, you're, I hope you're starting to resonate. It's like, man, it sounds like if I don't know the Word of God, I'm not going to be able to really discern if the teaching is false. This is true. This is fundamentally the truth. Number two, don't tolerate hypocritical teachers. Hypocrisy is a special kind of sin that denies the sin itself, right? Being a sinner is not being a hypocrite. I want to make this very clear. People will, will lob a hypocrite at Christians all the time. Sometimes it's warranted. Many times it's not hypocrisy, it's sin. <laughs> it's not the same. Hypocrisy is a special kind of sin. In this case, it's different than just any other sin. Hypocrisy is, for me, for instance, I sin and I wish I didn't. That's true. All the sins I have in my life, I could snap my fingers, I wish they would be gone. I would love to be more godly. I would love not to have my mind ruin my day with bad choices, or my heart or whatever. It's me. It's not just the, well, what can I do? It's how I was built. No, it's me. I like it. I, the sins I do, I like. I hate what I do, and I do what I hate. I empathize with Paul's words. But if I sin and I justify it as good or maybe just not an issue for me, it's time to confront. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying, this is a sin. I do it and it's okay. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not, this is a sin, I do it and it's awful and I wish I didn't do it. That's not hypocrisy. That's holding up the truth of Scripture. It is sin and I'm a part of it and I hate it and I wish I didn't do it, but I did do it. If you're listening to a teacher that says, hey, we are called to give of ourselves, give everything for the poor, all that you've got to the needy, and they live in a $230 million mansion, they're a hypocrite because they are not doing that. Or they're saying, but, but the trick here is I am needy. Need is not based off of money. Need is based off of declared need, and I'm declaring that I need it, so give me more money. This is, that is hypocrisy. That is dangerous stuff. And we as believers should not tolerate it. Get up and leave. If you think that I'm a hypocrite, confront me. If I say, no, that's wrong, and you're convicted that I'm a hypocrite, go. Don't tolerate it. Do not tolerate this stuff. Third, don't be surprised when false teachers are successful for a while. I'll tell you right now, there are loads of false teachers that are living very worldly lives. They are rich and famous. They have more money than I'll ever see in my entire life. They're claiming Christ, and they are just putting people right on a freight train to hell. It is hard to sit in a small church in a poor community, speak the truth, standing next to some behemoth in the world with millions of dollars saying they also speak the truth and justify this position. The good news is we don't have to do that because the Word of God is paramount. That's it. It's not my position. It's God's. And we must trust that eventually this will all be brought to light. God will see this corrected. He will. It will not be left unchecked. It's not going to be something that runs forever and, you know, if only, you know, God could have done something, I just, you know, they got the better of us on that. Not the case. To that end, be ready to call out even popular teachers if they're counter to God's word. Now, I'm not talking about calling them out on Facebook. I'm not talking about going out there and bashing people in an open forum. That doesn't make any sense. There's no need for that. But when you're talking to somebody, when you've got a friend, they're like, hey, I want you to listen to this. And you hear something, or you're reading something they're sharing with you, and you get an opportunity 
to say, ah, you know, I understand the sentiment. I'll tell you one right now that comes up all the time. Person's gone to church 30 years, heavily involved in ministry. Lots of people remember them from youth groups, this, that, and the other. They die, and somebody says, close to them, they got their angel wings. Now they're an angel in heaven. They've been promoted to angel. Church, we don't get promoted to angels when we die. The Word of God does not say that. We get to go be with Christ in a new body. We might have wings, I don't know. But we're not angels. Angels are not people who have died. They're different. Now, when someone's in the midst of loss, you don't want to be like, actually, that's, not a, that's heresy. And no heresy is not destructive. Because they're going to be like, I don't want to hear this. Not now. Right? The sentiment there is that they are in heaven. But there's an opportunity if you have a relationship with somebody in the midst of that despair to say, what if I told you they got a lot more than angel wings, right? That's what I'm counting on. I'm banking on something better than that. The presence of Christ, who needs wings? Who cares, right? They're not just hanging around in heaven with nothing to do. They are participating. They are communing in worship with God the Father, Christ the Son, indwelling with the Spirit all around them. Like, we can't even comprehend how good that is. It's not about tearing people down. It's about building people up. But if we don't say things like that, if we allow those kinds of false teaching or we, we promote them further, little tiny bits of heresy confuse people and say, well, if, if I become an angel, was I always an angel? I didn't think, like, well, we're not really an angel, you just get wings, like, but do we get, like, well, nah. it's just, it's a pleasant thought. I'm not saying that's not a good idea. When someone's sad and bummed out, it's a really terrible time to confront bad theology. But these sorts of things get stuck in our culture because nobody talks about them. And they can lead to people thinking, well, all i got to do is die, right? I don't know a thing about them, but everyone's claiming they're in heaven. That's good to go. Uh, maybe that's what I'll do. There's an episode of The Simpsons I often think of where there's a, uh, The Simpsons is a, is a comedy. It's not like a, a bastion of theology. But there's a scene where he's talking to a traveling preacher, Bart is. The preacher's like, get it together, kid, because Bart's kind of a bad kid, right? And he's like, come on, you've got to do better. Don't you want to live for Jesus now? And he's like, I'm kind of thinking of doing the presto change your deathbed repentance. And he's like, that's a good angle. But it's not God's angle, right? But like, that's something. And it's real. The man on the cross was a piece of garbage, apparently, his whole life. But Christ said, you're coming with me today? I don't know how that works. But if you know better, do better. That's what, that's what, that's what Peter's talking about here. If you know the truth, do something about it. When you see somebody else being led astray saying, I'm going down the presto change of death, better repentance, be ready to talk about something like that. You can laugh and chuckle and say, that's funny. But the reality is, you know, you, what you're doing is denying Christ. Well, no, 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 I believe in Christ. If you do not do what Christ has ordered you to do, I don't know that you do. I don't think you're taking it as seriously as you ought to be. That's a reasonable conversation. Now, people may not like to hear that. And that's the fourth bullet. Be ready for people to call you a nut. If you try to call out a false teacher that everybody else seems to like or a false belief that everyone's on board with, they're going to blow you off. Do it anyway. If you doubt, we'll see what happened to the apostles. It, it didn't end well for many of them. They didn't just get called a nut. They got like, convicted as nuts and were executed as nuts. Like This is unsavory. It's, it, this is heresy. We're going to kill you because of it. If it's the truth and you can go back to God's word... Much of what we see in the world today has come from the, 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 the fact that we're able to sit in this room and talk about this, open the word, discuss it and read it, comes from the fact that people through history had enough. Martin Luther said, this is heresy. And said, I, 
I've got God's word. That's it. That's all I'm going to rely on. And you're telling me that's not enough. And I don't agree. And I don't have any other points to defend. Here I stand. I can do no other. That's what I was saying. It's God's word. That's all. Don't listen to my bright ideas. But were we going to see false teachers be successful? Absolutely. Take one look around you. I can see why people throw their hands in and say, forget it. This is easier. I'll just do it this way. I want to be rich. I'm tired of fighting the good fight. Standing up in this pulpit every couple weeks is not easy. Seeing the, the, the church not blow up with a bunch of people that hear the truth and say, I believe, baptize me, is tough. I want that. I want that. Part of me, if I take God's word and set it aside, I know I'm fine. There's got to be something else. There's got to be a hook. There's got to be a way. Gift cards, drawings, raffles, something. Get them in. Get them in. They hear the truth. It's worth it. You know what happens when you start doing that stuff? Pretty soon you become the raffle church. That's all you do now because it worked. The people are here. I st- we still do the truth, but we don't have time to talk the truth, so we give them a handout. Uh, and we conduct a whole bunch of series of raffles, and, and, and we, we do a prayer service. But, but it's, look at the numbers. It's working, it's working, it's working. The money's flowing in, and we're growing. Not good. Seems good, not good. A little bit of compromise, a tiny non-destructive heresy is like a splinter in your mind. And pretty soon it takes over everything. You get an infection. You can't stop it. It's too late. And people wonder, how did it happen? It's almost always starting in a very small... And, and if only somebody had the courage to stand up at the beginning and say, let's not do giveaways in church. That sounds a little too close to money-changing tables in the, in the auditorium. Maybe we oughtn't do that. Eh, okay, we won't do it. That is, you've just spared the growth of false teaching. Lastly, don't be lured into the flock. Suffice to say, it doesn't end well. Sitting underneath false teaching does not end well. Many will follow sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Take the time to double-check the teaching you consume. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The best way to detect false teaching is to know the truth. If you know the truth of Scripture... If you can get your Bible out and look for something and find it, I'm not talking about having the whole Bible memorized. I mean, that's great. But being able to apply it and know it, and I've heard something like this before. I sat and I heard a sermon that was, seemed accurate, and I'd like to compare and contrast it a little less. I'm not saying that sermon was 100%, but it seemed right. What you're saying, I don't see it in there. I don't think I want to listen to this person talk anymore. I think this teaching is not good. Spend time in the Word and in study and get ready for open eyes. I, I, I will 100% promise you that. If you feel as you sit here and you listen to this like, man, I just don't know my Bible well enough. Open it up and read a few chapters a day. A few verses a day, I mean. Two, one verse a day. Read one verse a day and find you a, yourself a study Bible and read the context around it and read the study. Start there. Then one will turn into two and two will turn into three. And pretty soon you'll be able to read a chapter a day. Maybe even like an entire book of the Bible. Some are quite small, right? But the more you dig into that and the more you study and, and, and learn that, your eyes will be opened by the Holy Spirit. It will happen. Things will stick with you. You'll see things happening in the world, and you'll get feelings like, ah, that seems wrong. That doesn't seem right. Somebody was telling me they were reading a great book, and it was by you know, so-and-so, and they said, do this and do that and do this and that, but they didn't really justify that with Scripture. That alone it begins to raise a red flag in your head because you spend so much time in the Word. 
If you wonder why we preach the way we do, it's because we've given up on the idea that Mike and I are going to have some clever way to present the Scripture that's going to change the world. There is no better way to present Scripture than to present Scripture. Here is the Word of God. There it is. Here's some explanation about it based off of not my hard work, but theologians over the last 2,000 centuries that have been vetted and revetted and recontextualized and translated and double tra- in an effort to, uh, to make the Bible as clear and concise as possible. So what about us? If Mike or myself are straying off the path of truth, let us have it. If I begin to, I'll tell you, I don't want to speak for Mike, but if I start teaching something contrary to the Word of God, you have my permission to come up here and hit me right in the face. Shut me up. Stop it immediately. Please. Now, if you're that confident that I, what I'm saying is heresy and you want to take a swing, knock yourself out. Knock me out, I guess. If not, you're like, I'd rather talk to you before I hit you in the face. That's also a great place to start, right? But let us have it. There is no time to, to, well, let's, let's see how this plays out. I mean, that's a great attitude for like what you're going to do with your taxes or something, but not when it comes to what we're doing here. If we're good here in church, if Mike and I are doing our part and we're not all over the place, then vigilance for parachurch teaching is what parachurch is just means not within the church, but something else. Tons of things on YouTube, tons of podcasts. Several of them are great. A bunch of them are bunk overload. But vigilance there too. You got questions? Bring it up. I'm not saying I got the expert on all that stuff, but I'll happily listen to nearly any podcast you got and I'll, I'll give you my opinion on it. I'll try to even bring it into the, where it falls, in, yay or nay, in the Word of God. But sometimes people will be teaching things and they'll subtly sprinkle in a bunch of worldly animist stuff, right? Spirituality has nothing to do with God, but like it's it, t- touching into our own spiritual beings and things like that. That's self-help. Not to say that self-help isn't all bad, but let's not put it in a position of uh, the Word of God. Number three, social media is a great opportunity to see what other believers are believing. If you don't participate in social media, that's fine. I'm not saying everybody needs to do it. But on my feed, I see so much from people that would call themselves dyed-in-the-wool believers, long-term Christians, and they're sharing stuff that, quite frankly, is false teaching. 100%, not even close, out there, anti-biblical stuff. Now, I'm not necessarily good enough friends with all those people. I'm not going to put a comment on it and say, hey, all this, by the way, lies. Enjoy your time in hell. That's a terrible way to use social media. Don't do it that way. But if you get a chance to reach out and say, I I saw you share this article. I used to follow that person. And I I, I want to share with you a couple things that I found that were helpful for me. And if you'd like to talk about it, I'd love to. And they might say, oh, here we go. You're a nut, just like I said before. But somebody might hear that and say, you know, I've been wondering. I've been feeling maybe it's a little too good to be true. But, you know, some of the stuff they said is really good. Oh, absolutely. Uh, As a worship uh, group, we sing a lot of songs. We change lyrics occasionally. You've got groups that are uh, writing really good stuff, and every once in a while, songs comes in there, it's just, "Eh, let's change the words. Why do we do that? I can tell you why I do it, and I would wager you would feel the same way. It gives us an opportunity to sing a song that people might know but when we change the lyric, they're forced to ask why we did it. <laughs> why wouldn't you sing it the way everyone else sings it? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about that. Because the way they stated it is borderline heretical. And we don't want to give anybody the false impression that the, the Holy Spirit is summoned by us or something along those lines. Oh, interesting. 
Maybe I should question the lyrics of the songs I sing. Maybe you should. Small things, but little things like that can go a long way. But that fourth bullet is the key. Let's be ready to share the truth with loving kindness. We're not out here to condemn people to hell. That's not our job. We, our desire is to promote the name of Christ, the work of Christ. That's what we're commissioned to do. But part of that is going to be able to say this person's teaching false teaching. They are destroying you and your loved ones little by little with this stuff. Please knock it off. I love you. I care for you. I'm not saying you got to join our church. You got to listen to this. I'm not telling you that. But this stuff's very dangerous. Take the time to see for yourself. These aren't my ideas. This is the word of God that they're standing in opposition to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, false teaching. Obviously, I get heated up about this stuff, Lord. It frustrates me to see the way of truth being blasphemed, to see people on the path to destruction, led there by Satan's desire not to uh, see people succeed on this earth or or do something that God wouldn't do for them, Lord, but to destroy them, cloaked uh, under worldly riches is destruction, Lord. It's heartbreaking. And Lord, I pray as we stop and we think about this and like, well, I only surround myself with non-false teachers and I already do tons of vetting. Lord, what a blessing. I am thankful for your word being the mechanism by which we can validate or invalidate any teaching. But for those of us, Lord, that are struggling to identify clearly what is false teaching and not, Lord, I pray that you stir up in us a desire to get back into your word, to be able to understand and confront false teaching in our lives or maybe even in the lives of those that we care about with something definitive, not just a a hunch or an intuition, Lord, but actual proof from your word, conversation. And if we have questions about that, Lord, that's why we're a church body. We can talk about this together. We can work together to find solutions or get answers to things that maybe are, are, are downright confusing or hard to discern from the word, even at, a, even at a glance, Lord. But we trust that no matter how hard we all work, we know that any truth, anything that can confront and defeat false teaching, rescue people from lies, is going to come ultimately from you, God. And I am so thankful that we do not require myself or Mike or anybody in this church to be good enough to defend your word. It is good enough alone. The work has been done and all that we need to do is remain faithful to you, Lord. Thank you for this body of believers, Lord. Thank you for your word and its power. Thank you for your son and the work that he did on the cross. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.